What's up, Red Letter Disciples? It's Zach Zender, and I get the privilege to host this podcast, which is all about helping and challenging you to be a greater disciple, because when we are the greatest disciples that we can possibly be, we give the world a greater and fuller and truer representation of who Jesus is, and that, Jesus, is what changes the world. And so I am running this one solo today. I'm bringing on a guest, Brian Rose, to the show. He's going to help us, especially if you're a parent, uh, really understand what it means means to have a a purpose and a mission for your family. Brian has helped churches craft vision and mission statements, and now he's on a kick to help families discover their unique purpose. And so what's your family's unique purpose? Do you have a mission statement? Do you have a vision? Do you have values? He's going to talk about that and why that's important. We're going to get into all sorts of great things and how we you know, how, how do we disciple our kids today? How, how do we handle kids' sports and extracurriculars with the church? And yeah, it's actually snowing the day that I recorded this with with Brian in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and it doesn't snow there very often. So what happens in that little city when it snows? And so Brian's going to be an awesome guest. I want to thank today's podcast sponsor. It is Red Letter Living. And today we've got a free gift for you called the Growing Your Church Challenge. Here's what I know. Every pastor and church leader wants to grow their church and they want to be wise steward of their finances. And so leading a church in a post-COVID context is complex, but leaves us, I believe, with an incredible opportunity to reach a mission field that's never been as large as it is right now. And so pastors and church leaders, I've got this free gift for you called Growing Your Church Challenge. 10 ideas to grow your church that cost you little to nothing. And these 10 ideas, they're going to be extremely practical. They're not vague, like preach better and just be nicer and love people better. I think you do those things pretty well already, I hope. But in the show notes at redletterpodcast.com, you'll see the link to download this resource as well as the coupon code so you can get this for free. And if you're not a pastor, share that link with your pastor so he or she can take that to their church. And if one or two or even three of these ideas stick, it's going to help grow your church. And I hope it does because we want to grow God's church for the glory of his name. All right. So if you love the show, tell a friend, tell somebody about it, rate and review the podcast, follow and subscribe because we get into some really great conversations. And so today, hear my conversation with Brian Rose, episode nine of season three. Let's do this. Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. It's going to be a good episode today. We got Brian Rose in the house. Actually, he's not in the house, but you know, virtually in the house. Brian is a lead navigator and engagement specialist for Axano, uh, an organization that helps churches and ministry leaders discover their vision. Uh, prior to that, Brian served in a pastoral capacity for 12 years in three churches. And Brian and his wife, Kelly, now live in the Nashville area with their two kiddos. Brian's got degrees from a seminary and a university. So we're continuing the trend this year of just bringing smart people onto the show. But where I ran into Brian, Brian actually is on a project that he's working on that I'm really intrigued with called Family on Purpose. And so we're going to dive into that today. Brian Rose, great to have you on the Red Letter Disciple. How's how's things going for you today? It's great. It's good to be here, Zach. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So we record a little early. So it's mid-January when we're recording this. And you said you're in Murphy, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. And it's doing a rare thing today. What, what's happening? Yeah, it's one of those days where it actually snows in Middle Tennessee. Uh, so thankfully, it's warm enough that it's not shutting everything down because it doesn't take much to shut things down here. 
but it is snowing today and uh but it's you know it's a beautiful day outside nonetheless how many plow snow plows does the city of Murfreesboro own? <laughs> we got like two snow plows. So, I mean, listen, when I, there's people in other parts of the country, probably you're watching this now. And if you thought, man, if we got two inches of snow, you know, that'd be a little bit of a hassle getting the driveway cleaned off for about 15 minutes, but then we're good to go. Two inches of snow in middle Tennessee shuts the place down. Cause we're just not prepared for it. Right. We just don't. And you don't want us driving in snow. You just don't want yeah. Southerners out driving in snow. So they're not uh, usually we it. get a little ice too that's the problem around here is we usually get a thin layer of ice underneath the snow and so then it's just you know chaos yeah uh, people in the north in the middle of winter right now don't feel bad for you and they're like not they're not you know yeah. too empathetic towards yeah. the cause of snow yeah. for you just so you know yeah. um, <laughs> I, I, i'm not looking for sympathy or empathy i'm just stating the facts we have two snow plows <laughs> And it shuts everything down when it when it gets uh, too much. No, it's great. I, I, yeah, I remember my time in Florida, and and it'd be the dead of winter, and just you know, you'd look at the the forecast yeah. all across the country on like the Today Show or Good Morning America or whatever, and they they'd have all the you know the the weather. Uh, you know, numbers. And then there'd just be Florida down there. And I had quite a few friends. I, I would never do this, Brian, quite yeah. a few friends brag on social media and, you know, talk about how good life is down yeah. there. <laughs> we lived in Fort Myers, Florida, Kelly and I, my wife, Kelly and I lived down there for about 18 months, uh, fairly early in our marriage. And, um, you know, Fort Myers is kind of where, where big Ian hurricane came through is pretty yeah. tragic, but but I can remember it would get to December and it get down in the fifties and sixties and people start breaking out their winter coats and fur right. coats. And it was, it was, it was quite funny, even for someone who, you know, is originally from the South. It just got a little, to be a little much down there. Yeah. It's amazing. 60 degrees in the South. People are head to toe covered. Yeah. Whereas I'm in Nebraska and my boys who are 15 and 12, like they are shorts year round, even in the winter, it's like seven with, you know, negative 14 wind chill and they're still out there in shorts and it's like ah crazy but isn't that junior high boy though isn't that more about being a junior high boy than being where you are in the country i mean it's just you know my son wears a hoodie even in the dead of summer (laughs) he wears a hoodie all the time and this is like he's 13 and we're like aren't you hot and he's like no like (laughs) Rock on, son. You there do you. You. <laughs> you do you. Uh, Brian, that's great. I, I got, yeah, we just talked about our kiddos a little bit. You got a family. And where I ran into you yeah. was in this project called Family yeah. on Purpose. So I want to talk about what Family on Purpose is. But first, like, just, yeah, back me up. Tell me your, tell me your story, how, how you got to where you are today and why yeah. this project's important to you. Yeah, that's and it's all kind of that that ball of, of twine or thread. I, I like to look at it as those concentric circles that overlap. The Lord uses training, schooling, uh, relationships, experiences, and then kind of as you get older, that that overlap gets greater and greater and honed into okay, this is that thing. And so, family on purpose uh, is really just kind of an outgrowth of all the experiences and places and things God has allowed me to be a part of. My wife, Kelly and I have been married this year will be 28 years in May. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, so we're, we're thankful for that. And, you know, 25 was like a COVID year, so we really couldn't do anything fun. (laughs) So we're kind of resetting the deck for, for year 30. We got married and, um, and I have an architecture degree. uh, So I, I was in, she married someone who was going to be an architect and ended up with someone who was a pastor and now uh, a consultant. 
Uh, right, hang, on, Lord, hang on, hang on. Tell, yeah, me, yeah. tell me, how do you go from, hey, I'm going to be an architect to I'm going to be a pastor. I want to know not only how yeah, did yeah. you know that was right for you, but then how did you spin that to your wife and still stay married for 28 um, years? <laughs> yeah. More importantly, how did I spin it to my parents, right? That was the, that was the harder part. And I still get questions about that. You know, uh, I've, architecture was, was always a passion growing up, kind of always thought I would be an architect and, and kind of designing. It was always a part of, of who I was growing up. I can remember with Legos, like I was always, I was the kid that dumped out the Legos and never put it together like it was in there. I was always kind of remixing uh, from the jump. And so Kelly and I, you know, we got married right before my fifth year of architecture school. It was a five-year program. I just, I wasn't uh, dragging it out. Uh, and we got plugged in with the church mm. and got plugged in with the church right after we got married, started volunteering in student ministry. And, and I just, you know, we, we both felt a, a tug of, you know, is there something more we're supposed to be called to do? Is there something more to that? And really wrestled with it for a number of years. And so even, even down to that Fort Myers, that 18 months in Fort Myers, God really used that season. We went in obedience. We followed the, uh, the Lord down there. Um, my wife was on staff at a church in Mississippi and, and uh, her boss and her boss's boss got called to a church down there and they asked us if we would go and by us i mean her and then i you know because she's a an administrative brain and uh and so i was along for the ride got a job in an architecture firm and god really used that season mm. to submit a vocational calling to ministry we're all called to ministry yeah. right none of us are you know we don't have to be paid by a church to be ministers to be uh, proclaimers of the gospel and really put our hands in the work but in that season the lord really showed me a need for the vocational side of it to this is that. And he actually took me back to a, a moment as I was a youth camp counselor in college. When one night at the altar call, I was down front and I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And I had forgotten about it mm. because graduation and getting married and all these things were happening. And one night just wrestling on the floor with the Lord, just he, he took me back to that moment and said, Hey, remember when you said this? This is what I want you to do. So we packed up and went to, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, went and did seminary there. Uh, I left architecture on a Friday and was a youth pastor the next Monday. Mm. And it went wow. about as well as you could expect there for a little while. <laughs> uh, you know, just kind of that, that shifting gears. Well, uh, I, mean, I, so, can, I can give us a really cool youth-looking room. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. It was like, so we right. meet in this gym. What if we did this and this and this? And so... You know, actually I put together, I had a, I had, a, I built a tent of meeting for my, for That's my awesome. leaders out of, out of this queen plastic and a big fan. I built a bubble to inflate inside the gym that we had our leadership meetings in. Cause just this cavernous gym did I, I, it was, it was, it was crazy. But so, so through, through that all is that just God submitted a calling uh, to ministry and then really experienced, like you said, uh, and the intro three different churches over about 12 years. I like to tell teams I work with today. I did everything there is to do in ministry, but put my head on the pillow as a senior pastor. Um, but I know what I don't know about that. And the calling has always been to that second chair position of leadership. Um, early on, uh, right as finishing up seminary, uh, one of my best friends and I, we were going to plant a church in Miami. We were going to be church planters. Uh, he was on staff at another church in Mississippi, actually the church we were a part of back there. So that's how we were connected. Um, 
we were dreaming about this church. We were, we had our kind of manifesto. We weren't ever going to have to have vacation days. You know, we, we were going to do it the right way. <laughs> and and we, we got together and started thinking about uh, the vision of it. Uh, and at that time, um, Oxano wasn't even a thing yet, which is the, the company I work for now. Uh, it wasn't even a thing yet, but it was in the early days. And it was in that season, uh, those early days where we were dreaming of visioning and we shifted the conversation from dreaming about a church to the church. Mm. Uh, and Oxano was born out of that uh, almost 20 years ago. I have been in a full-time role consulting with churches, church leaders, even uh, organizations, denominational groups uh, for the last 10 years in a full-time capacity. And, and, and we walk alongside church leaders. Yeah. We, we, do, we create breakthrough clarity. We say, you know, clarity isn't everything you're going to deal with in church leadership, but it affects everything you deal with in church leadership. So when you're not clear on who you are, when you're not walking uh, with a, a, just a deep sense of understanding of this is, this is our unique great commission call to this community uh, with this people and this passion God has given. When you don't have that in place, it's hard to make other decisions well. And so that's a that's just a thumbnail yep. nutshell vocationally. Now listen, in the middle of all this, Kelly and I were walking through infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, early on in our marriage, we thought, you know what, we're gonna have kids, it's gonna be great. In fact, I had I had already had it planned out. It was gonna be an odd number so I could play basketball and there be you on a team, right. you know, and have even sides and my wife could watch. Um, and, and it just, it was, God kept putting up roadblock, roadblock, mm-hmm. roadblock. And, and one day we were in the middle of procedures and testing. And it was kind of that one of those pivot points for anyone who's been through an infertility journey. You, know, you kind of hear that. Okay. We've got about as far as we can go with this. Here's this next level uh, of, of really kind of complication and cost. And, and so it was kind of this big decision we were faced with. And, and my wife in great wisdom looked at me. She said, I'm not um, necessarily called to be pregnant. I'm called to be a parent. Mm. And it was just in that moment where the Lord opened the, our eyes and, and was like, okay, well, let's, let's look at adoption then. You know, let's, it's not, if it's not working this way, obviously, and we're facing this big cost for these procedures that have a marginal percentage of actually happening. Well, here's this thing over here called adoption. It's going to cost about as much. Uh, and it's guaranteed, right? Yeah. Except it wasn't guaranteed. <laughs> Even in our adoption process, we hit a number of roadblocks and ups and downs. And, wow. and so we, I mean, our story to becoming parents um, is, is a story of brokenness, a story of deep dependence on the Lord, a, study, a story of dependence on each other. And, and one day on a Sunday afternoon, oh, this is going to be tough. Uh, <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon, out of the blue, we got a call mm. said, Hey, this, this little girl was born. Wow. Are you guys interested? And we were like, <laughs> let's pray about it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was, it was that quick. Oh man, uh, It was friends of a friends and kind of this got a story only God could write that mm. some really close friends of ours from back in our Mississippi days, um, knew of a, of a young woman who had, was in a very tough time in her life. And man, I just, I can't un- say enough just from our journey and just getting to know other birth mothers and kind of the gut wrenching season and decisions that are made around that. We have so much respect for our two birth mothers and and love birth mothers in general and have talked to so many. She was in a real tough season. And and so, you know, some friends of ours uh, were approached with this little girl and they, they immediately thought, um, man, this is, this is Brian and Kelly's uh, baby. And part of that was because they had just found out they were pregnant 
after a season of infertility and journey. So we went from zero to 60 uh, in parenting as well. And within three days, um, had this this beautiful little girl. We didn't have a, a ton of her story, but we knew God was writing it. Wow. And so, um, so that was it. Uh, here's the cool part, Zach. We celebrated Gotcha Day. Uh, our daughter had a birthday, and then she had a Gotcha Day. And, nice. And I like we, that. We always kind of came back around. It was it was five days after she was born. Uh, yeah. Was was her Gotcha Day, and so we would we'd celebrate it's, birthday. Yeah, what's, a, what's a Gotcha Day look like? Yeah, yeah we celebrate birthday, and that was kind of the big thing, family, friends, everything. But we come back around on Gotcha Day and tell her the story. Even even that first year, we told her the story. Hey, this is how God has put our family together. Uh, this is what God has done uh, in that way. So that was really cool for the first four years. Yeah. But on the fifth day, her gotcha day became gotcha all day because God, uh, in all the way, only he could write the story. Uh, another precious young birth mother, super courageous young woman, put our son in the arms of my wife the exact same Thank day, you. five years later. Five years later. Yeah. So it became got you all day because we're from the South. So got you all day. It's amazing. Uh, and, I, and so I'm not too familiar. Is that a normal is gotcha day uh, a normal thing that adoption parents do? Or how, how did you hear about that? You know, we I, I, it's hard to say, you know, I think we probably heard about it. I think I've heard recently, too, that sometimes it feels a little offensive to gotcha, you know, like, a, you know, um, we've always just said gotcha day and gotcha all day because it was really for us you know, really cool to, to do two things. One, to mark for our kids um, the first step, the first journey of faith and kind of what does it mean to see God at work in our lives? What's the purpose and, you know, family on purpose, what's the purpose and calling for our life? Yeah. Part of it is being able to tell the story of how you uh, came to this point, whether it was, you know, some really cool adoption stories or whether you feel like your story is kind of like the normal everyday story. There's still a story yeah. God is using. So for us, gotcha day became like, Hey, listen, we want to celebrate your birth, but we also want to celebrate this. And then second of all, um, when we look at it through a gospel lens, you know, we're, we're all adopted in, yeah. in Christ or have the, yeah. you know, the, the, the air we're heirs through adoption. Uh, and so, you know, it's really cool to kind of begin to do this. I was just sharing the story. I, I shared our story one at a church uh, last January, and I, I had the real kind of pleasure to talk to a uh, a man last week whose whose daughter was adopting, uh, and they were going to finalize last Friday, and and he's like, "Hey, I heard your story. What can I tell you?" And I was like, "Man," or he's like, "What can I say at this at this ceremony to kind of present the gospel?" And I was like, "It's a perfect picture of the gospel. We did nothing. These kids had not earned anything." They didn't, you know, there was nothing they could do, but just be received into the love of their father and mother. And so that's kind of the picture of that. So gotcha day for us has been that foundational story there. Um, and so okay. I think that's, that's, you talk about passion. Yeah. Um, I love working with churches, creating breakthrough clarity with church leaders to help realize their vision and kind of create plan and strategy and kind of move forward in this calling and align everything. Like I, I geek out on the organizational side of it. But when it comes to the family side of it, too, just because of the road we've walked and because we can see God at work and those things, man, I, I get excited to, to think about parents leading with that same kind of, of clarity or discipling their children with that same kind of focus and energy. Like, hey, listen, we are here for a reason, yeah. uh, for a purpose. And so that's, you know, in, in, in talking to you and, and kind of 
preparing for today, you know, you've heard me say, and, and I think this is true. Um, I love the, the idea of shifting the discipling our kids conversation less of something that happens to them. Mm-hmm. Like discipling my kids is not what happens to them. Discipling my kids is what happens toward this yeah. thing God has for us. And I it's just it. shifting that and then creating this disciple making is not a moment. Uh, it's <laughs> right. not even, it's not even a season. It's, it's every day and every moment when we understand the purpose and calling, we can align to that and see God at work in it all. I, I mean, cool. sorry, Zach, I mean, you probably used to talking more, uh, <laughs> these, but I, you know, you, no, you man, up and let me go. Yeah, press play, go, baby. No, I, what I love about you, I, I love a lot of things about your story, uh, particularly though, because we had talked before uh, a couple months back, and and I didn't know the adoption piece of your story. Yeah. And what I think is so cool is that a lot of times, like, here's what I love about God. Nothing is wasted in God's economy, right? And so the architecture degree that, you know, then all of a sudden turned into past, I guarantee you're using things from your architecture degree and things you learned in what you're doing now. I I think of architecture as this very systematic and planned. And like, that's what you do when you help people create visions and and missions. And so I see that. Uh, the, the work you've done with church, but but the personal piece of it, we had a, a couple episodes back, you know, someone who was once in the throngs of addiction that's now leading uh, a, re- a recovery um, addiction uh, for, for those who are addicted. And it's like, it's amazing to hear the stories of people and why they're doing what they're doing. And, and I would, I, I obviously know that about you, family on purpose. It, I thought the reason he's excited about this is because he helps churches with vision and mission, mission and purpose. And, and, and so he's trying to use that for the family. And, and I, I think there's truth to that, but what I really see is this was personal for you and, yeah. and there was great cost for you and Kelly for a long period of time was very difficult. And so even the gift of like having kids yeah, getting to do this, I think you carry that. Would you say that's right? Uh, 100%. We, you know, the family on purpose is a play too. It's not just, you know, that we have a purpose, but that our family is put together on purpose. And I think uh, when I look across the landscape of parenting right now, listen, you know, there's a lot of great resources and a lot of cool stuff going on. But at the end of the day, I just, I had this passion for dads and moms and even kids to know, hey, we, we have a purpose. We're not just here uh, we're not just trying to survive week to week or try to make it to age 18 or try to make it through college or make it through kindergarten or wherever that stage is or make it through teenage years. We're, there's a purpose for this. Yeah. And I think that's that's where it comes from, Zach, is it's both like, hey, we have a purpose, but God has a purpose for this too. And there there is something deeper. And that'll get us through the, the harder times. Yeah. Like that'll get us through the times when it when it doesn't really go well. Yeah. It's good. And this, the Bible says, right, where there is no, no vision, the people perish. Yeah. And I, I think a lot when I, uh, when I think of like purpose and mission statements, uh, I, I think of businesses, I think of organizations, I, I've led a church and yeah, you got to have a mission, you got to have a purpose, you got to have a vision, you got to have all that. Uh, I even think that, so, uh, so there's that kind of understanding and, and you help churches with that, which is really great. I even think that there's a lot of room for growth, but there are some people, and I'm one of them, that I have a personal mission statement. Yeah. And so my personal mission statement is uh, is to be a great follower of Jesus and encourage others to be the greatest followers that they can be. So that's yeah. what I live by. But but I've stopped short of like 
I don't have a family purpose, a family mission. I think yeah. I'm hoping that <laughs> they catch enough of it, but there's nothing stated. There's nothing, yeah. that, you, you know what I mean? And so I'm intrigued by that. So maybe talk me through what does it look like for a family to live on purpose? Does that mean like a business that you'd have uh, a mission statement, a vision statement, values, or, or yeah. what's different, what's the same? Yeah. Walk me through that. Yeah, I know. I love that. And then um, maybe tell me yours so I can copy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's 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 the great news. And, and just like we do with churches, uh, organizationally, Oxano tells church leaders when I, the first thing I do is like, hey, spoiler alert, your mission is the Great Commission. It's just contextualized with different words, right? So we don't have to struggle with what's our mission. Uh, it's the Great Commission. And as individual followers of Jesus, I believe we have a purpose. We don't have to struggle with a purpose or mission statement. We have the Great Commandment <laughs> to love God and love people. So part of it, though, is, hey, what's the unique posture within which we love God and love people? And so really, we don't have to create this grandiose statement. We, we like to whittle down to just a few words. Like for us, you know, ours is fostering acceptance. And so, you know, the Rose family loves God and loves people by fostering acceptance. Mm. And so we, we, we sit down with our kids and we kind of work through this. And listen, they weren't. They weren't like, oh yeah, dad, let's create a purpose. We love this. We can't <laughs> wait to, you know, and, you we know. can't wait to do these things. Like, but what we did do is we did talk about the places God has us and has had us and acceptance. Our daughter is, she's in college now. Uh, she's studying opera. So she's been a part of the arts this whole time. She's a very gifted singer. Listen, no credit to us. Uh, she is one of the top sopranos in the state of Tennessee in high wow. school. Like it, one year she was ranked first. And so, you know, Crazy. incredibly gifted young woman. Yeah. We didn't have anything to do with it. We just like, oh, cool. This one can sing. Um, but, um, but so acceptance in those environments, like, like that's not necessarily going to look like her church youth group, right? Mm -hmm. Those kids aren't going to have the same beliefs and mores and values and family lives and some of those things. And so we had incredible conversations throughout junior high and high school about why people believe or live or have lifestyles uh, the way they do and what our response is as a, as a follower of Jesus. And we're having those with our son right now. He's, he's a run toward the action kind of kid. He's involved in, in the civil air patrol through junior high. He intends to be in high school, be in ROTC. And so, and, and so again, there's not necessarily, you know, it's not going to look like our youth group at church. And so more than just having a devotional every morning, it's, it's having conversations in context of remember we want to foster acceptance. We want to, we want to love people as Jesus loved people. And as we get to know them, engage relationally in those harder conversations about, you know, some of those things. And so we've had to have those conversations along the way. So it's more than just, uh, you know, kind of a statement we put on our wall. It's, it's honing into where we have seen God use us. And Kelly and I have many, many stories that even go beyond that of why those two words matter. And yeah, we have family values too. We have value statements. I like to call them fence lines. Like, you know, if you don't have a fence in your back backyard and you have a dog, you know, it just runs off. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and so what are those kind of what's the boundaries of kind of what's acceptable within our family? How do we define those things? And when our kids would step out of line, we wouldn't kind of go, you know, most of the time, you know, the, the kids um, feel estranged and alienated because when they step out of line, they've crossed an invisible fence line. Right. There's an underground electric fence. And all of a sudden they get shocked, but they never knew the fence was there. And so having a family values conversation really says, hey, listen, this is kind of what we this is kind of what we believe and why we believe it. This is what shapes 
how we make decisions. And so for us, like we celebrate other success too, is one of our family values. Like when somebody else gets the part yeah. that my daughter wanted, like we talk about, Hey, how do we celebrate? Do, success she's number too? one, but yeah, uh, it's happened. Yeah, no. And so how do we do that? We obey even more when it's hard. Yeah. Right. You know, that come back to school and some of those other things, we assume the best, not the worst. Right. And so, so those things, like when, when none of those lines gets crossed, now we have some common language to come back to. We can point to that fence line and say, Hey, remember this fence is here for a reason. It's not here because we want to trap our dog in the backyard. We have a dog, by the way, it's here because we live about a half mile away from a, or a, you know, 250 yards away from a highway. Yeah. That she doesn't understand those cars. She doesn't get that concept. And if she just runs that way, she could get hurt. Yep. Or even worse. And so we, we put this up, we put this fence line up to say, Hey, listen, here's, and she's got a beautiful backyard. You got plenty of room. We throw the ball, plenty of room to do those things. So we tell our kids, Hey, these are the, these are these things that how we make decisions and these fence lines we don't cross, or when we do cross them, let's have a conversation about that. Uh, when you step outside of our values, now we can have a conversation about what that means and why not just, you know, ground you and take your car keys. So it's good. Again, yeah, I heard the, the great commandment, right? You referenced that. And for the, most listeners may know what that, but that's where Jesus said a minute ago, love God and love your people. And so yeah. I, I heard yeah. you say that like, that's the big thing. So as yeah. Christians, as disciples, that's like the overall purpose. That's why we exist, which I think is really good to recognize that and come and start with that, but then finding your niche and that, what that is for you. Uh, I I remember uh, when we got married, uh, my mom and dad were like, we want, we want to, you know, give, give the Zender family cornerstones to, you You know, they're yeah. going to make a plaque, yeah. so choose four cornerstones and and we'll make a plaque out of it. And so I gave her the four and, you know, there's contentment and joy, but I didn't put the word love. And so they added a fifth one. So I, even yeah. though I guess yeah. I didn't make my yeah. parents. Um, so they added love into it, which is, is probably good. I was trying to like go off, you know, and pick different ones, but right, right. I think like having those conversations and those values. And so for you, it, that, that phrase fostering acceptance. And so talk to me about if I understand the overall structure, love God and love people. And I want to play my part in that. How do I discover that next or that, that more specific primary focal point that my family might, might yeah. hone in on? Well, in, in kind of the process, this project uh, that I put together called family on purpose. And by the way, it's still in its, in its relative infancy. I mean, we've yeah. just had a few, the church is beta testing it with some small groups and some of those things. Um, there is a journey of kind of getting to that point. You just don't pull two words out of the air. Uh, we talk about some highs and lows and see God at work in the highs and lows. Um, and, and kind of, and, and really that one of the, one of the key pieces for me uh, and just, and, and how kind of leading parents, this is really creating um, conversation moments. I think there's five critical conversations that every family needs to have. And one of those we, I call sofa talk. And okay. it's just, it's just, um, you know, mom and dad, or, or, you know, if you're single parenting, you know, who is that trusted friend yeah. that can sit down with you and just in process, where have we been? What has God done in our lives? And so that part of those things kind of bring up, you know, the, the ability to get to, uh, like I'm looking at some other examples, you know, creating godly foundation, caring deeply for others, serving others selflessly, like, you know, some other families come through and see, hey, listen, because of where God has had us, 
uh, and in both the highs and the lows, the mountaintops, you know, and the valleys, uh, you know, you know, I can see that, you know, this is how that comes. And so we, we kind of create questions, but most importantly, talk about, hey, sit down and have that conversation uh, together. It's good. Here's why I wanted to have this conversation, because this is something that Alice and my wife and I completely agree with is like kids, not just can be disciples. Kids are disciples. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so one of the things we've noticed, uh, because we, you know, we, we do these 40 day challenges for churches and initially I just wrote a book and, and, and it was uh, like a 15 months later, my wife, Allison said, we need a kid's version for this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Great. Can you do it? And she's like, yeah. And by the way, she's a way better, more natural writer than I am. So I, I, you know, that's our story, right? We just, we just can talk. They actually get the work done. (laughs) Right. 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 And so the, what, is amazing. Barna did a study, and so this is what I'm hitting at. They they found 85% of Christian parents or spiritual parents, uh, they they knew that they were the number one faith formation person in their child's life. Uh, six out of seven. So one out of seven is wrong, and I'm not sure where they get that, but still, that's a high percentage. But then, if you read like a paragraph or two underneath that research, it, it says very few of them, very very few of them, have any sort of plan. Um, to their discipleship. And so in my head, I'm thinking, so that's got to feel, and I've felt this too. So not just thinking, but I felt this, that's got to feel like, fill you with guilt and maybe even shame to know that I, I am that person for my child, but I don't know what to do. And, and so that's where I, I like this because I, I think it's yeah. giving a framework or words or targets or something that we can at least look at and say, there's a plan in place. Is that, is that a big piece of it for you? Yeah, I would push beyond it and say it, it actually, it actually makes just following Christ every day, the plan. Yeah. Rather than, because right now in, in the, in kind of the, the landscape of ministry to families, especially through a church lens, you've got really kind of three primary approaches. You've got the product-based approach, which you can go get some product or some study. Um, you've got a programmatic approach, right? You've got, you know, kind of come to this thing at the church and, you know, attend these things, or you've got the pamphlet-based approach, right? Go out to the lobby and get a pamphlet on, you know, certain issues and topics and some of those things. I think those are all great, but I think what's missing is the parent-based. It's kind of what, how does it live in the life of parents and how do we equip parents to not, not just think about what I'm not doing or what I should be doing, but kind of see how everything we're doing, every decision we make is an opportunity to disciple our kids because one day they're going to have to do the same thing. And, and that one day isn't when they're 18. That one day is when that kid at school goes, Hey, I know you go to church. I'm struggling with this. What does the Bible say about that? And even giving that kid permission to go, man, you know, our, our kids have been in that situation and they've just said, I don't know, can, you know, let me talk about it. And you know, they don't have to have the answer. And I, one day our daughter came home, she had a, she had a 45 minute conversation in front of a, uh, a freshman's house. She was driving him home uh, and he was, you know, struggling with lifestyle challenges and, mm. and, and, but he, but he also grew up in the church. And so, you know, she was like, I hope I didn't say something wrong. I'm like, babe, <laughs> were you listening to the Holy spirit? Yeah. You know, you didn't. And so I think it's it's more than just a plan. The plan becomes, hey, how do we see everything we do yeah. in every day as an opportunity to make disciples who make disciples? That's good. So one of the things you say is the average church family is overscheduled and under-discipled. Uh, tell me what you mean by that. 
I mean, exactly what I just said, it, you know, we have programs and ministries and yeah. some of those things, and it's all about the schedule. And it's not about, Hey, let's, let's help train you. Let's help equip you, um, you know, beyond just kind of, Hey, read this or show up for this for eight weeks. Um, it's, it's, what does it look like beyond these walls and how do you have confidence as a dad that you have time, right? That the discipling is something you can do, not something you just, you should do. So, so let's dive into that a little bit. Uh, I, I, I deal a lot in, uh, with pastors that I've talked with. And also I feel a, t- a little bit of that tension as well as a parent. Yeah. Uh, kids sports is a big, yeah. Thing. So yeah. uh, for you, it sounds like, um, uh, opera for the daughter and, and, and things like, so it doesn't just have to be kids sports, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, but h- how do we help parents who have kids that have extracurriculars? And I think all of yeah. us parents are like, we yeah. want our kids in extracurriculars. Some yeah. of us are like way, way too much wanting them. Um, but how do we like, how do we deal with that in the church? Cause I, I wear the pastor hat and the parent hat, the parent yeah. hats. Like I want my kids to be in extracurriculars. I, I love supporting them. It's good for them. Then the pastor hat is like over here and I see the idolization of kids sports Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to shame the parents, but yet I also like want to speak truth to them. So like, how do we, what's the, yeah. Talk to me about that because I feel yeah. so many people are dealing with that right now. And, and either, they're feeling guilt and shame about it, or they're not certain about it. And I think the parent and, and from the parent side and the pastor side, it, it, it can be like super confusing and like you can start to get angry. And so, yeah, a lot of resentment, a lot of animosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me start to do that. Let me start on the parent, uh, on the pastor side, because that's, I walk alongside pastors and have been in that role uh, uh, as a youth pastor or family pastor. Um, let me ask you a question. What if, travel sports is an unreached people group. What if we could shift our perspective on how we think about those environments and how we feel about parents being gone all day, Saturday and all day, Sunday, less with a, you're, you should be here. You're missing something here and more with a, Hey, we're sending you there. Yeah. And here's how we can help. I sat in Hampton Inns on Sunday mornings in the little breakfast area and seeing these, as I'm visiting a church and doing a guest visit on Sunday morning, eating my breakfast, and I see these families, I'm like, man, what if a church just took the time with those parents to say, hey, here's, here's how to show the live stream. Here's some questions you can ask with the other parents who are interested. What if we saw that as a discipling opportunity of saying, hey, listen, you're going to be, when my daughter, by the way, we, we forced, even though our kids are arts and kind of military, we force our kids to be a part of a team sport in junior high and in their first year of high school, at least, uh, because it creates a different kind of dependence. And so my daughter played soccer up through her freshman year. When she stopped playing soccer, you know what? I missed the relationships I had on the sidelines with those other dads. Mm. Like we had consistent time to talk and those things. Like it, I grieved it more than she did. She was glad to stop playing <laughs> soccer. Yeah. I was like, but what about what are me and your mom going to do? And so I think if we can shift the conversation, not from what they're missing at these kind of church services. And listen, I I believe parents should be in church. Like I'm not trying to make excuses there, but I am saying when faced with this reality that there is a social reality, there is a, a need for this. My daughter's had rehearsals for shows and musicals and stuff that that conflict with some church stuff. And, and, And like, if we can see that as, Hey, listen, we are sending them out 
to be able to have an influence, mm-hmm. parent to parent, student to student, and not just we're uh, excusing their absence, but we are equipping their presence somewhere else. Mm. And so we have conversations. Guess what's going to happen when those soccer families are back in town? Right. They're more likely to bring other soccer families and, and those parents who aren't churched or aren't oriented toward things of Christ may have more because they've been rubbing shoulder to shoulder. So from the, from the pastor's perspective, I love to just kind of reset the deck. Yeah. Hey, this is a people group. Yeah. Youth sports is a people group. Yeah. And then from parents, it's like, Hey, listen, yeah, you feel guilty for not being in church, but, but how do you, how do you do some things to, to offset that? How do you leverage those times? Um, I'm not saying you kind of have to have weird family devotionals uh, while everybody else is warming up. You got the kids on, you know, let's pray and do some of these things and, you know, but how do we remind our kids, hey, I know we're here to play ball and we're going to give it all we've got. And nobody works hard. We used to say nobody works harder than a rose, you know, those kind of things. But but man, let's remember that, you know, we're going to we're going to maintain our relationships here and we're going to always think about how does Christ want to use us in this moment for something greater than just just being here. That's good. And this is where I, I, I resonated with a lot of that, where I think the unique time that we live in, I think. I highly, highly, highly value the weekend experience. You're not going to find many people that love worship and just being in the assembly more than, more than I do. But I also think like the, 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 the model, the older model of like one hour a week. And if people Mm -hmm. miss that, we're in a place where digitally we can provide uh, content and opportunity throughout the week. And so if, for instance, uh, a family misses sports um, on a Sunday, uh, we have the great opportunity that throughout the week, man, the other 167 hours, there's opportunities. And so I think we need to encourage, like, for sure, if anything has ever taken place uh, in the number one throne, like if it's an idol, and I think it is, by the way, for a lot of us. Yeah, 100%. I want to let them off the hook and just say, it's okay. But how do we help them see that as mission field? And then at the same time, if it's a mission field that they're going to be on, how do we arm and equip them in the other 167 hours? I think there's great opportunity. And I think there's a real hole in there. And and the two groups, pastors, churches, and athletic sports, they're not getting along with one another. And I feel like there's a a, a hole there that they can get along. You know what? Let me push. I don't think they're getting along with each other from a scheduling standpoint. Okay. But I've got, this is brand new. This is fresh. This is fresh. Is that, um, as I watched the DeMar Hamlin, um, Mm -hmm. and, and and I've, I've been watching the last few weeks, there's a great stream of faith. Yeah. In professional sports. If we'll be aware, if you watch, uh, even, even the national championship game, Tim Tebow was on the sideline during kind of, we flipped over to one of the alternate ESPN broadcasts and, and these guys on the sideline who are very carnal and fleshly were recognizing faith in yeah. Tim Tebow and Tim Tebow was able to respond well with that. I think there's probably more opportunity for faith in youth sports than we think mm. than because I see it at other levels. But I think as, as pastors, all we're looking at as the, is the plus minus column on time and our attendance numbers and our giving numbers. And listen, I, again, I love the assembly. I am a passionate worshiper. Yeah. My daughter's things work. I mean, like, I love it. But I do think the reality of it is, is we've got to think beyond just, you know, that moment and equipping parents to, to be disciplers on purpose the whole time. And so if they don't understand that, that fundamental piece of that purpose, 
then it's going to be hard for them to translate. It's going to be hard for them to get a picture of that. No, it's good. And I think I want to recognize what you said too. And we're, again, we're recording this in mid January. Yeah. It won't come out yeah. for a while. And so we're a couple of weeks into the DeMar thing. And yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I timestamped it. Didn't no, you're yeah, good. Yeah. No, you're good. Yeah. But I, I, I've, I, what I've, what I think is, is really valid is like, yeah, you're saying these things are happening in sports and, and they are. And what all of a sudden happened with the DeMar thing is like the media yeah. is showing it because, yeah. <laughs> because it's what, it's what's needed. It's what's everybody's yeah. feeling. And, and it, it has been kind of a breath of fresh air to see all of that. And I think that stuff happens. We just don't see it a lot, but now it's become right. cool for the media to show it for right. a couple of yeah. weeks. So we well, they had to, they had to show yeah. it because right. they had to be human. Right. right? And they exactly. had to show in the, in the very, the most fundamental human response is let's turn to a higher power. Yeah. And so I think I think if we can equip parents to go, hey, let's 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 recognize that we don't have to be forceful on that, but let's invite other parents in these other alternative places, just like we would send a missionary, you know, overseas to a third world country. Let's send parents to youth sports. It's only if their kids are good at it though, right? If their kids if your kids aren't good, then find something else to do. (laughs) Don't force it. Because you have no credibility. But if you got a kid who's good in it, you know, this is a great window to say, hey, listen, this is kind of what we do and be an example of Christ um, as you go. And that's, that's, you come back to Deuteronomy 4, the the core parenting verse of the Old Testament. Um, You know. um, What is that verse? Can you, can you let us know? Man. Yeah. 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 Wait, am I saying four? Dude, I am, my brain is scrambled here. You're good. Um, (laughs) You know, I, this is, this is the, you know, the fundamental verse, the Shema. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Deuteronomy six then, right? Six. Yeah. Why did I go to four? What's in Deuteronomy four? There's something. I think it's six verse, verse four. That's why. Yeah. That must be what it was there. But I love, I love it because, you know, you look at that and you're like, um, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord and God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are given your heart, repeat them to your children. And then here it is. Talk about them. Only when you're at church. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Talk about them for 15 minutes every morning on the couch. No, it says when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand, like in the work you're doing. Put them as a symbol on your forehead and those things that consume your thoughts. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The other people in the community should be able to see this is a household of faith. And I think our families are out in other parts of the community, in sports, in theater, in other things. And, and we've, we've disconnected. We've said, okay, you know, Christianity is really about your, your schedule, whether it's at church or in private in these different places and not something that is in your family in every place you go. Forgive me. I knew it was Deuteronomy 6. As soon as I said Deuteronomy 4, I was like, oh, man. 6 verse 4. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Edit that out. <laughs> we'll take care of it. Uh, one, I could talk forever on this. Um, you said earlier that most parents think discipleship is discipling uh, to their kids, but you want to disciple them towards something. Can yeah. you break that down a little more? Well, yeah. I mean, that's why there's so much shame is like, well, I don't have time to sit down with my kids or my kids aren't interested in, you know, this awkwardness of sitting down and reading a devotional. So, I mean, I see the Instagram perfect parents are like, we talked about, you know, Judges chapter seven today. And may not even made Judges seven. Uh, there is. Um, you know, with my child, before. I don't know. And, 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 and my child exegeted, you know, perfectly exegeted, you know, this, you know, these kind of things. I'm like, man, we never were there. Like we right. were, we were never really kind of like sit on the couch and, you know, do those things, but we brought that in there. And so I think that's, that's the bigger picture is, 
you know, um, man, towards something, this, our family's here for a reason. And the more we can remind them of that, talk about it, use the same words to point to Christ at work in our lives and what we're called to do, then the more that's, that's truly discipling our kids for a lifetime of disciple making and faith, not just a few minutes every morning or every weekend in church. That's good. So Brian, I'm just curious, uh, since, Hey, since it's my podcast, uh, your show, I've kind of dominated it, but it's your show. I was going to say, since it's, I'm going to, I'm going to play the selfish card for a minute or two and and tell me, tell me what you think of the strategy or the thing that I'm doing. So the, uh, yeah, the book that I initially came out with red letter challenge, discipleship book, how do I follow Jesus? We, we located five targets from that we believe are the most prominent, not all of them, but the most prominent out of the mouth of Jesus be, forgive, serve, give, and go. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is like what I tell other pastors, other leaders, like if you have something that's working for you, go for it. But mm-hmm. if you don't try this, be, forgive, right. serve, give, go. And so I try every month. I'm not successful with each of my two boys. Right. I, I'm probably 60 to 70% successful, which would be like a C or a D. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. In those months. Monthly- if we're playing baseball, we're Hall of Fame. Let's just say that. And so every month uh, we sit down and my kids, they know those five words. They know that dad's going to ask them, how's your being, which is relationship. How's your forgiving? Do you, is there anything you need to tell dad or anything yeah. that you're feeling shame about or something that you're holding against someone else that f- forgiveness serving? What, what are we doing? How, how are you doing serving? Um, and then we look at giving. What, what does your generosity look like? And then going. Uh, how, how are you going and how are you sharing uh, your faith with others? And so, yeah, is that kind of like the family on purpose? Is, yeah. is it to get to a place where wh- whatever words or targets you use, but those are the conversations that you're having? Is that, is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? The, yes, and, and that becomes outcomes. So, so we have to talk about, you know, a purpose and, and values as input you know, and really instructive as kind of, Hey, this is how we do those things. But at the end of the day, there's another piece of the conversation. It's like, Hey, what do we want to see happening? Mm. Especially at these different milestone moments, you know, based upon, based upon our, our values, what we believe, you know, you go back to, you know, I love those five words or, or something like, in fact, this is one of the big things that, that I help churches do is like, what does a disciple look like in your context? Like part of what we do is helping define words in the walls, like a a vernacular that gets repeated. And so part of our process too, for families is like, Hey, what, what are those milestones at those milestone moments? What are the practices and habits you're developing? And so those questions you ask are great questions and and kind of foundational Uh, for us, our family, uh, we start early and just say, be sweet, be strong, be a good friend. That was how we started in the kindergarten era. You know, be sweet, be strong, be a good friend. Even into into that childhood stage, be sweet, be strong, be a good friend. When I got to junior high, it was be sweet, be strong, be a good friend, and and be a friend, especially to those who don't have friends, right? And so we we would ask questions about that. Was anyone not sweet to you today? Were you you know, um, be sweet, be strong, be a good friend, especially to those who don't have friends, was critical in junior high for both of our kids. And then be a leader. We added in high school for our daughter, um, and now you know, she's in college and we add be wise. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, we're still, it's, it's defining it more from a different, it's more of an imperative than, than kind of a, a question. But for us, that stems out of kind of how do we address those worlds? And so with those outcomes, until you're painting the picture of what success actually looks like, you know, then you're just telling them, this is what we want you to do. 
but here's what we want you to become. That's you good. know, and so for you, those five words are becoming words. You know, one who forgives, one who serves, one who is generous, one who is those things. And it's, and so that's that's a part of it. It's like, what does that look like in your family? No, it's good. I think you helped me realize those are good outcomes, but I, I need to spend probably as much time in those one-on-ones but on, and also just life yeah. um, defining the why behind all of that. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, get under the why are those things good. important to you? No, I appreciate when you that. Can, when you can be consistent with the why, then your kids both will be uh, equipped to make decisions on their own. Right. And that's, that's one of the huge things when they, they understand they will use, they will borrow your why until that stage of adulthood when they are crafting their own why. Mm. And so uh, they will build their why on the foundation of the why you place inside them. And then as God, I call, I call it, and there's a great need to breed song uh, called the banks, um, which I don't know if you're not familiar with it. It's a fantastic song. And, and um, I talk about it, you know, it is resonant in like, Hey, as parents, we're here to build the riverbanks alongside our child these years. We're just building riverbanks because because there is a force in yeah. every one of our children through you know uniquely gifted through through the Lord, and it's going to go to a power plant and be able to provide gospel power, disciple making power to the next generation. If we will be diligent to provide the riverbanks and help direct that along the way, and then it won't be a big puddle. And so you know that why is kind of like, hey, how do we help them? Because one day God's going to do something more than we could ever ask or imagine. Yeah. Ephesians tells us. Um, that, that in their life. And right now, you know, there's that why helps them get to the why on their own. That's good. Well, I know you helped me at least. And, so, and I know you helped a lot of others too, because even I'll though, take every, one little thing, <laughs> even though every, every uh, family is different than mine, like there's yes. pieces that you know, when I hear other people examples, I can always uh, make that for, for my, for my own sake. And so I appreciate that. All right, Brian, we ask all of our guests the same question that if you could challenge our listeners to do one thing practically this week, to be a greater disciple of Jesus, what would you challenge them? Whoa. I, I you know, I would say this, um, ask questions. Um, I would say in that moment, when you feel, um, an unusual emotion, whether it's a negative emotion or a happy emotion, some of those things, um, slow down and ask a question. I think, especially in your parenting, uh, if, if you have kids in the adolescent age, if you have them in that stage of life, um, to ask the question before you provide the answer. That just what is the question? What question can you ask? They come to you and have a, an issue with friendship, some of those things. I think a discipling question is, hey, why do you think they acted that way? Why do you think your teacher is doing this? Why do you think this is going on? And slowing down before just kind of go, you know, let me give you the answer so we can get back to whatever we were doing. Right. Slowing down and saying, hey, why do you think this is happening? Um, I don't know. I've just found so many, so much power and even asking why two or three times, Mm. like, why is that? Oh, so why did your teacher, why do you think she's having a bad day? Why do you think, you know, this, and then it's like, well, how, what do you think the good response is? Now your kids in elementary school aren't going to understand that. Obviously your, your, your infants aren't going to get that. But if you have, if you have students, you know, kids in that adolescent years, middle school, high school, slow down. And ask ask a question, and, and it could just be a, a why question. That's great. Uh, you, you, that's that's discipling in my book. Yeah. That's discipling your kids. Um, it doesn't have to be you know because we have this you know study in this in this devotional guide that, that we got. Awesome. I don't know. 
That's cool. I love it. So, all right. So listeners, if you take on that challenge this week, if you notice at one point this week, you slowed down, you ask questions. Awesome. Hashtag Red Letter Disciple on socials or in the YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, let us know. Uh, we love to know the difference that this is making. And uh, Brian, man, you, you've you've really been amazing and shown the me and others the value of what it looks like for families to have a purpose and to talk through that. And, and, and I just love that because I, I do think as I look out at the world right now, uh, way too many people are struggling with meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And when we do this as families, that's yeah. pretty awesome. So, Hey, if people want to connect more with you, where can they find you these yeah. days? Uh, back when we first started getting these handles at the Brian Rose, Brian with a Y. So T H E Brian Rose, the Brian Rose didn't sound as, uh, uh, obnoxious as it sounds today at the Brian Rose. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're beginning the foundations probably by the, you know, we're, you can, you can find, um, the family on purpose.com. Uh, it will be, it will be findable. Uh, it, you know, today it may not be as findable as it may be tomorrow, but it's going to be there. And that's kind of where we're, uh, we're seeing God at work there. Awesome. And we'll put those links in the show notes too. Yeah. All right, Brian, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I guess I hope you stay away from two inches of snow because we don't want all of Murfreesboro. To, it's you know, freak it's out. not, it's, it's going to be fine. We're, we'll right. be fine. All right. We'll see you. God buddy. bless you. Thanks. You can tell Brian is so passionate about family and hearing his personal story makes me understand that even more. And so as he has found his purpose for his family, he's now wanting to help your family live on purpose. And that's what I want you to do too. We want to challenge you in that way. And so, hey, if you missed anything or like, ah, trying to write stuff down, we got all the links in the show notes. Check them out at redletterpodcast.com. There you can find everything you need. You'll also be able to download that free ebook, Growing Your Church Challenge. Pastors, if you want to grow your church and do it with ideas that cost you little to nothing, it's there. These were ideas that I have implemented at my church in the past. Some of them are like super well thought out, and, but others were just the grace of God. And, and, and as I tried to kind of un, un, unpack my playbook for growing the church, that's what's in there. And so I hope you enjoy that free gift. Next week, we got our final episode of season three. We're bringing on to the show Matt Gonzalez, Janine Bowling, and Josh Salzberg, leaders of a group called Lutherans for Racial Justice. It's a really important conversation. We're going to talk about why fighting racism is discipleship, why it's important for you. If you're wondering how you do this or what next steps, we're going to learn those next steps. And I know for me, like I've not always known my place and I'm still learning my place as a middle-aged white dude in the fight against racism, but I'm continuing to be involved, invested and learning next week you will too so make sure you don't miss it and you don't miss it if you follow or subscribe on your favorite streaming platform we'll see you back next week for the red letter disciple a hood at media production